0: This is Nicole Deffenbaugh. If you are enjoying the podcast, we invite you to tell your friends and family and like us on Facebook at Health Stories Podcast.
1: We were whizzing down 476 in the back of an ambulance and I remember thinking that this end result wasn't going to be an easy fix and the paramedic that was with us said we need to get there as soon as possible because you're not doing well and they're going to want to start testing immediately. Fear setting. I felt myself go numb on the gurney both physically and mentally and I could see trepidation in the eyes of both my mom and dad and they're usually pretty decent at hiding that fear. That day I remember it being ever-present and almost like we couldn't escape it.
0: Welcome to Health Stories Interviews Inside Healthcare. In this podcast, we invite you, the listener, to hear the real-life stories and experiences from clinicians, patients, and caregivers about how to effectively communicate and also how to navigate our very complex U.S. healthcare system. I'm Nicole Deffenbaugh, and today I am very pleased to be joined by my guest, Abby Morrison, who is talking about her journey... Uh, and uh, experiences with medical mistakes. So welcome, Abby. Thank you. Okay, so you were telling us you're in the ambulance, you're whizzing down the road, your parents aren't sure what's gonna happen. So what happens next?
1: I remember being in the hallway, and they didn't even take me all the way to the exam room. They took me right to the MRI suite, and I was in and out of consciousness um, and didn't really realize the complexity of what was happening around me all that I knew was that machines were buzzing and there were a lot of unfamiliar noises and people coming in and out there was a flurry of activity and before I knew it We were upstairs and admitted for what would be a six week journey uh, and probably the scariest time of my life. Uh, That's definitely an understatement. Um, And so I remember bracing myself when the team came to the door and the neurosurgeon walked in and said, you have a brain hemorrhage. And I sank into the bed, unsure really of what to say or do next. I was afraid to look around the room because I knew that the emotion was going to come to the surface sooner or later. And the nurse looked at me and she said, we don't know. They didn't know...
0: They didn't know whether I was going to live or die. Oh. So they didn't know... <clears throat> Did they know the cause of it at the time? No. So they didn't know the cause. They didn't know if you were going to live or die. They just knew that you had a brain
1: hemorrhage. There were a whole lot of question marks. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until two or three days later and many repeat scans and MRIs that my primary care doctor on the team came into my room after 17 years of having me as his patient. And he said, I'm sorry. And at that point, I didn't really know what that meant. Right. Like why was he sorry for what? And I said, doctor, I said, why are we sorry? Shed some light on this because I'm not really understanding the the context of why you're sorry. And he said, we made a mistake. He said, and unfortunately, it wasn't at my hands. It was at someone else's hands. Hmm. And
0: now we have to see if we can save this. And bring you back. What's interesting though is he said we. So who is? So he said Me. we made a mistake. Um, but then he said it wasn't. It wasn't him. So who is the we that he was talking about? Like a team of the team. people. Okay. The team. Um, yes. So then, what happened after he said he was sorry? We. I laid in bed for
1: two weeks unable to move, unable to really turn in the bed. I ate in the bed, I slept in the bed, I was unable to get out of the same position, which can be challenging. Two weeks straight um, in a fetal position, basically. Mm -hmm. And I knew that I wasn't getting better because I still had severe, severe pain. And he came in one day as I was going through a very emotional time. And I said, you know, I need you to do something because obviously what we're doing is not working. And it's time for reinforcements in some other way, because I can't do this anymore. I felt like I was starting to lose my mind.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, you know, there were so many TV episodes but that wasn't really distracting, distracting me anymore. Oh, you were watching a lot of TV mm-hmm. at the time?
0: Okay.
1: Um and so the next morning they ended up taking me to the ICU to put me under sedation so that they could do a fairly radical procedure. Um, and I'm convinced that that procedure is what saved my life.
0: So you, I, I have a number of questions I'm thinking about. Um, first is how did they find out that you, that how did he find out that they had made the mistake? The MRIs. Oh, okay. So you had mm-hmm. some tests that showed yes. that whatever was happening was a result of another procedure? Right. That you had had done? So, this
1: mistake was made in the OR about 10 days earlier. Oh, okay. And there was a pool of spinal fluid somewhere that it wasn't supposed to be. Mm -hmm. And then there was blood on the surface of the brain from the pressure. And so that was his number one indicator that something was definitely awry and that we needed
0: to move quickly. Yeah. So, um, so what's, what's going through your mind? Um, or actually, I should say, how did you feel when the doctor said, I'm sorry?
1: Devastated. I felt like the other shoe dropped and that I wasn't sure that we were going to be able to rebound. Um, There was a large pit in my stomach and for the first time, I sort of looked up and said, if it's my time, it's my time. And let's have this be as painless as possible.
0: Right, because you didn't know if you were even gonna live. Mm -mm. Um, You know, for the people who are listening, it's like our worst, anyone's worst nightmare. You know, you go and you have a procedure in the hopes of getting better, only to have something go wrong um, from the procedure. Uh, and knowing this, this topic, I, I looked up um, some information and in John Hopkins from 2018, uh, had said that the, on average in the U.S., 250,000 people die a year from medical mistakes, which is the third leading cause of death after heart disease and cancer. Um, which makes you wonder what's what's going on um, in the system, and, and you are being told that you're not sure if, if you're gonna live from this mistake mm-hmm. that was made. Um, so you're devastated from the news about what's going on. Um, but in order to fix this, doesn't the same doc, is it the same doctor that goes in no. and fixes this? Okay, so it's a different team that goes mm-hmm. in at this point.
1: It, my, it was still my primary. Care doctor? Yeah. Oh, okay. But it was only him and
0: not the other person that was with him. Oh, uh, okay. And the the individual that made the mistake, you're saying? Right. Okay. So your doctor went in to fix the mistake. The, the hemorrhage. Handed. Yeah, the hemorrhage that went because in.
1: Because the other provider
0: never admitted that there was an issue. So what was what was that like for you, knowing that the person who made the mistake? never came forth and said anything? I felt as though
1: he didn't really value my life the way it should have been valued. The amount of pain and fear and just trepidation and that i felt in those moments knowing that he was never going to come up to my room and be honest and transparent about the situation was very much an issue for not only me but for my family as well i think that we would have felt better had he owned up to his mistake, said that, yes, I caused this and I'm very sorry. This is what happened. And I'm going to work with your team to move quickly so that we can attempt to rectify this. Mm -hmm. I think that by him avoiding me altogether left me feeling very betrayed by the healthcare system in general. And I only wanted my surgeon in that ICU room. I didn't want the other provider.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I got to a point where I was so angry that I didn't want to see him.
0: The the person your provider, or the person who made the mistake. The person who made the mistake. And you knew who that was? Absolutely. Is there any question or doubt in your mind that it was him? You know, like, is there is there any possibility that they were covering up or it was someone else? Or
1: There was never a doubt in my mind. No. Yeah.
0: And I know that
1: because my doctor would have admitted that to me after nearly two decades. And...
0: I know that because he had done that previously. Oh, okay, so your doctor had made a mistake in the past. Yes. Tell, tell me about that. Well, um, we
1: realized shortly after my spinal fusion that I was still riddled with pain and nobody really understood why, Um, I ended up going for a routine Botox injection as a way to treat my spasticity and reduce the spasms in my legs. And I had this lump on my incision line on my spine and I had spoken with him before receiving the anesthesia for the injections and I said back you know you should probably take a look at this and maybe you want to aspirate it or do whatever you need to do while I'm under so that you can properly clean it whatever the case may be and he agreed immediately and I woke up to him right here. So,
0: about he, right about, next to your face, she's yes. pointing. Okay, so you're pointing right to so your face. So, okay. he was about
1: three inches from my face. Okay. And he said, we have a problem, and you need surgery tomorrow. Mm-hmm. You need additional surgery tomorrow. All of your hardware is infected.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: This was about 16 months after the original procedure. And they needed to basically remove all of the hardware so that they could rid my body of the infection, hmm. which at the time they thought it was MRSA hmm. uh, or some nasty staff bug um, that somehow got into the hardware before they actually used it to fuse my spine. And so I had about an additional three surgeries to fully deal with that.
0: So it, out, of, out of this procedure, when was the moment that your this doctor said to you I made a mistake? And did he, he tell you what that mistake was? When
1: I woke up. The first time when he was three inches from my face yeah, on the gurney, he mm-hmm. said I made a mistake. Okay. And
0: the hardware wasn't sanitized the uh, way that it needed to be. So he knew that he had made that mistake. Yes. But you were not totally out. I mean, you were still under anesthesia, right? When you woke up? He must have come
1: back and come back and come back until I woke up. Okay. But I said... Oh, my. I'm in more pain than I thought I was going to be. And he um, was at the head of the gurney at that point and said, there's reason for that, and I'm very sorry, but we have a mistake. I made a mistake. Okay. So he had mm-hmm. admitted that
0: he made a mistake. What did that feel like for you in the time? So it's interesting. So you've had a doctor tell you, I made a mistake, and then... A number a few years later tell you there was another mistake but admitted the first time that he had been the cause of the mistake right and yet you still kept him as your doctor yes talk 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 a little bit about that because I would think for myself I would I would be like I don't trust you anymore there's no way I'm gonna see you so well why, why did you stay I let me
1: preface this by saying that there were some members of my family not my immediate family, but my extended family that felt that I shouldn't have stayed at the institution that I was treated at uh, on a regular basis. But I stayed because he had been treating me for two decades and had given me more quality of life in the earlier years than i ever dreamed of having and so his diligence with my case and in doing everything possible so that i would walk again was enough to push me and to continue to trust even
0: though I had every reason not to trust. So you had already established trust with this physician. He admits that he makes a mistake, and your thought is? You admitted it,
1: and you're going to do everything in your power to rectify it however you can.
0: And so you stay with him. A couple Absolutely. of years later, there's another mistake, but he points out that it was another member of the team who made this mistake, but it feels very different to you. Very different. And I think it
1: was because that physician had no bedside manner. He didn't even attempt to come in my room and face my family and I, and avoided us for the
0: six weeks that we were admitted at the hospital. Oh, you were there for six weeks and you never saw the person. Correct. But you, but your doctor told you exactly who it was. Yes, that's interesting. Okay, um, that that to me, I, I just think it's interesting because um, you know, as a as a team, you're all working together, you know, and to point out the person who had made that mistake and name the individual who had done that. You know, it, medicine is still an institution of perfection. Um, there's another article, and I, and I think it's Ornstein, I'm trying to remember, um, I, the individual who wrote the article, but it talks about how doctors aren't really allowed to make mistakes in the system, mm-hmm. you know? They're not really seen as mm-hmm. human um, because, you know, as I just said, 250,000 people die every year from medical mistakes. Mm-hmm. There really isn't any room for error. But what we're really talking about here for the people who are listening is what do you do with um, a mistake? How do you live with it? How do you process it? Um, and, you know, how do you, how do you move on from it? Um, and so the first, so I want to kind of transition from the story, we're kind of getting into to more questions here. Mm-hmm. Um, for people who are listening, what do you do when you have a medical mistake? How, how do you live with that information? How, how do you make sense of that for yourself? A lot of
1: patience and persistence and support from loved ones. My family was truly my backbone. Um, as I was processing the fact that once again, the healthcare system had let me down. And I think that because I was told that I was going to live or die multiple times over my lifespan, each time you take that more and more seriously. And as I became more and more aware of the implications that my situation might have. There was a a lot of anger and frustration and stress and I was experiencing every emotion imaginable. From being grateful all the way to being so angry that I was actually seething And I didn't really, I was withdrawn. I didn't want to see anybody and talk to anybody. And I didn't even want to go through the rehabilitation process to get better. And uh, I think working through that taught me a lot about myself and about the family that supported me and what... source of strength they were even as they were facing some of their biggest fears in life um, in dealing with my illness and with this medical mistake Mm -hmm. Um, so there came a time when I decided to let the anger go because I couldn't change the situation and just become grateful that I was actually still here And that I had a dedicated team, uh, starting with my surgeon and every nurse that had ever treated me on that particular hospital unit. They all rallied and, you know, I remember saying to myself, well, this is silly. You have to finish this rehab process if you want to go home. And it's the middle of summer. You don't want to be here until fall. Do it and get it done so that you can get your life back. And so from that moment on, I had rehabilitation three times a day from PT, OT, and actually a little bit of speech as well.
0: And I don't know, I mean, speaking for myself, I I don't know how I would have moved on from the anger and the frustration, and, and um, it's just really inspiring to hear you talk about your gratitude for the people that were working with you, um, and also uh, a shift in your perspective to be able to say, you know, I, I have to move on from this. Um, I, I can't help but ask, was there any, did you take any legal action?
1: I probably should have, but we decided as a family that it wasn't going to change anything. And what had been stripped of me, we weren't going to get any of that back. And so the gratitude translated again into okay, how can we move forward, become stronger for it, and take the next step? Um, and so. At the end of the day, after the pain went away and after we had my symptoms under control, I went right back to a place of gratitude, Mm -hmm. thinking about what could have been, what might have been, and uh, you just have to put
0: one foot in front of the other. I'm just sitting here in awe <laughs> of, um, of your ability and your, your perceptions of the situation and, and um, how you dealt with everything. Um, in, in terms of the legal action, I, I, I am curious, did you think about it with the first mistake from your doctor you had for 20 years, or was it more of a discussion with the second time? with It, this? it was
1: more of a discussion the second time over. And why is that? Well, I think that I had been a victim of medical mistakes more than once at that point. Um, Actually, my birth was a medical mistake and so by the third medical mistake, I was becoming more and more exhausting and you know it was almost the mentality initially of oh my word not again this can't be happening again this is ridiculous and somebody needs to pay the price and it was actually my parents and my grandfather who looked at me and said Listen, no amount of money in this world is going to repay you for what you have endured at this point in your life. Be grateful, hold on to your faith because that's been what has carried you and just sort of pick yourself up and go home and live your life.
0: Um, thinking about the clinical world, um, you had made a comment that this was a medical error of the system, and I find that interesting because as I was asking you questions about the physician, your, your primary doctor who made the mistake the first time, and then it was another doctor who had made the mistake the second time that your physician told you about, uh, but you were saying, you know, this is a mistake of the system. And I think that's really interesting that you said that because it really, if you think about the cleanliness of the instruments, for example, mm-hmm. there are many people involved in that, you know, uh, checking, double-checking, you know, there's, there's checks uh, systems all throughout healthcare, um, and it really isn't one person, it's oftentimes the person at the top, you know, hierarchically in terms of right. the structure, right, so the mm-hmm. primary physician or surgeon or whomever. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet though, it, it really is a whole team of um, mm-hmm. individuals and it really is the whole system. So my second question in this section is, what advice do you have for individuals who are clinicians, nurses, doctors, techs, um, in regards to making any type of mistake? So the, the
1: first thing that I would say is always be transparent and admit your mistakes. Being honest about the situation rather than avoiding the situation and the patient and family as a whole is always a good place to start. Because I think that for me, in, in this situation particularly, I felt betrayed because I wasn't, you know, I wasn't, Feeling like my doctor was honest about the situation, and in this case, there were two of them. I felt that the person who had the scalpel at the time of the mistake should have come into my room, owned up to it, and apologized to me face to face, which was something that he chose not to do over six weeks.
0: And I know the fear of legal action um, is all you know foremost on individuals' mind. They don't want to have a lawsuit, lose their license, etc. So recognizing that there are lots of ramifications for owning up to mistakes, mm-hmm. and yet um, you know more and more studies are showing, um, especially in commu- health communication, that owning up to mistakes actually uh, avoids a lot of lawsuits Absolutely. in the future. And I'm hearing you say that having them say something and owning up to that mistake would have been better for you.
1: Absolutely, it would have eased my mind. It would have, you know, helped me to deal with some of the repercussions, not only physically, but mentally and emotionally as well that I was enduring at that, that time. Um, I think he just come in and owned up to it like a compassionate human. Uh, That they are, you know doctors are humans at the end of the day Everyone makes mistakes and I have come to understand that and I think that just by showing some compassion My family and I maybe would have been
0: able to deal with the situation a little bit better If that doctor were here right now the one in the scenario that you started with the second mistake What would you say to him? Oh, that's an interesting question. Um...
1: I, I don't think that there's any one statement that I would make. I think that there are a series of statements that I would make. I would say that I was extremely disappointed and extremely hurt by the fact that he knew this happened to me. And that this mistake caused me a lot of undue stress and unnecessary emotions that were completely just off the charts and incomprehensible even for me at that time. And I think that I would say that I felt even more betrayed when he didn't come into my room, show his face. And be transparent about the fact that he made this mistake and owning up to it. To the not only me, but to my family members as well.
0: The mistake was bad, but not owning up to it was worse. Right. That's what I'm hearing you say. Anything else you'd say? Hmm. There's...
1: I don't know. It's a very uh, difficult subject. And so, I, I think that we would need to be in the room together for a while. to For me to work through my emotions and to really let him know how not only I felt about the situation, but how my support system felt about the situation as well. Because there were two sides to this, the patient account and the loved one account. Mm -hmm. And they sort of meshed together and there were a lot of different emotions that were being gone through at that time.
0: Mm -hmm. So tell me a little bit about advice that you have for loved ones because you're talking a lot about how your family was there they witnessed what happened they um, encouraged you not to take legal action um, but they also really suffered through this with you as well they did um so what words of wisdom do you have for a loved one who has either lost somebody to due to a medical mistake um or has seen you know, a loved one suffer as a result of it.
1: I think that I would say that their presence alone in that hospital and in those procedure rooms is paramount for a patient at those times in their lives. I don't know what I would have done if my family wasn't there at the hospital as much as they were. And for six weeks, my mother was with me 24 7 and didn't leave um i felt less alone and less violated because i knew that if i didn't catch something else she was there to catch it so i would also recommend that they be compassionate towards the patient diligent with the healthcare professionals and just monitor the situation,
0: knowing what a difference they're making for their patient. Now, you're talking the clinician or loved one. Loved yeah, one. Oh, okay, okay. They were your checks, checks and balance system, I guess you could yes. say, right? Okay. Yes. And
1: when I was becoming fearful and anxious, and you know, they made sure that everything was clean. They made sure that I was okay and that we were getting the best results possible. Um, and so, having that constant
0: support makes a huge difference. Mm-hmm. It also sounds like they were encouraging you to make the decision that was, was best for you, recognizing too that you were, you were so angry, frustrated that taking legal action was something you're interested in. Um, But I heard you say that they sort of stepped back and said, well, wait a minute. You you can't change it. You can't take it back. Right. Um, And so also offering a different perspective as well. Mm -hmm. Because sometimes as the patient,
1: your pain level, your anxiety level and stress level in a given situation can cloud your own perspective. And sometimes taking a step back from experience can either confirm or can lead you down a different path towards feeling another set of emotions and taking the severity
0: off of that for a while, which is necessary at a time like that. Yeah. So they were advocates, support system, um, and also watching things as well for you. I want to, as we we sort of wind down here um, to the end, I am curious if you can tell us the story of what happened at the end. Um, Mm -hmm. They're gonna hear some, that was your dog Jiffy, Mm -hmm. so they're gonna hear some, uh, listeners are gonna hear some noises of doors closing and and her dog. Um, So at the end, um, you told me you went back, what happened?
1: Well, first, let me say that I was completely discharged from pediatric care about two to three weeks after I was discharged from the hospital after six weeks of treatment. And I ended up returning about six to 12 months later. And I, I actually physically walked into my surgeon's office, which was something that he told me after the first spinal procedure that I would never do. And uh, the amount of gratitude and admiration that my surgeon of 17 years had for me that day is something that will stay with me for the rest of my life. How
0: did he show his gratitude? Do you remember what he did or said?
1: He was overcome with emotion, first and foremost. Um, I think when surgeons always deliver bad news, when they see a patient's success after all of the trepidation and complications and surgeries and pain that they've endured, when it can end on a good note, They're just grateful that that patient has come full circle and has accomplished something that they've been working for and wishing for, for what seems like a lifetime. Um, And I think that my prolonged clinical relationship with him, you know, he treated me from the time I was four years old to the time I was 21. So we shared a lot of chapters together and I'm grateful that I didn't leave and that I maintained the relationship because I have him to thank for a lot of my successes as well.
0: Any words of wisdom or final thoughts that you have?
1: As I said, for clinicians, sometimes admitting that mistake, as difficult as that may be because doctors are seen as superheroes sometimes, when you're really just humans, doing the best that you can for each patient in in each scenario that you're faced with on a daily basis, sometimes admitting the imperfections means the most in a moment of pure stress, and pure fear on the part of the family and the patient. So always remember that human interaction, no matter the scenario, makes a world of difference. And for loved ones, be present and show your support no matter how fearful you are because it makes all the difference in the world. My grandfather once told me that life is like a game of poker. You are given a hand in this life and you play it to the best of your ability. And whenever I am faced with a new card or a new hand for a new situation that comes up, I can only move forward
0: and deal with it the best that I'm able to. Thank you so much, Abby, for coming today and for talking with us. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. It was wonderful. So we hope that you are able to um, gain some in- new information and insights. We always encourage you to look us up and like us on Facebook. Um, and you can also share with your friends uh, and family and loved ones. And don't forget to, to subscribe. You can get new podcasts on a regular basis when they become available. So we hope you enjoy today's podcast on medical mistakes and miracles. This is Nicole Deffenbaugh for Health Stories.